There's a QR code there if you uh, want digital notes. So for those online that want notes, that's there available uh, to you. I was told that sometimes I click off this slide too quickly. So uh, we're going over Revelation chapter 4 today, and uh, we will go over 5 next Sunday. But 4 and 5 are a, a set, they're uh, a, a actually a whole vision. So, um, and it is setting up, God is holding court, he's holding counsel for the beginning of the judgment of the world. And, and who is worthy to open the seals, right? And that's going to be in, in chapter 5, and we're going to talk about that. But here, chapter 4, is the one seated on the throne, right? And uh, Yahweh holds counsel. It is him who sits on the throne, right? And we should what? Worship him. Worship him. You know, and I think that sometimes we, we want to worship God when things are going really well. And then we want to complain to God when things are going really poorly, and yet I think what we're really called to do is in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of our trial is to raise a hallelujah, to worship him. And sometimes I think attitudes, emotions, all these things can be checked by refocusing our emotions, our thoughts, our ideas onto him, him who sits on the throne. Not the recliner, the throne. This isn't a, a sitting of inactivity. This is a sitting of holding courts. He holds counsel. And as we go through this, think and look at who's on the counsel. And I would say that, brothers and sisters, the church, we, the, the, the people of God, will sit on the counsel of God. Because even... Paul or Peter, I can't remember which, says, don't you know, I think it's Paul, that you will judge angels? That's to sit on the counsel of God. That's pretty amazing that he chooses to share that, right? We went through the seven churches, and one of the, one of the two of the promises was that we would receive crowns. Now, these are victor crowns, but they're also crowns of rule, right? And that we would receive or share thrones with Jesus, right? And then we have these things coming together here in chapter 4, where Yahweh holds counsel and he's worthy of all worship. Come, let us worship him who sits on the throne. Does he sit on the throne of your life today? Is he, is he ruling in your life today? The truth is, yes, he is, even when you try to put yourself on your throne. That, you see what I mean? You're just, when you're on your own throne, it makes things a little more miserable. Right? Because you're jockeying for control. All right, let's do a little review here. The outline of Revelation, as Jesus uh, dictated, is in Revelation 1.19. What was seen, Jesus glorified, right? Revelation 1, 9, 1, 9 through 20. What is the seven churches, Right? Revelation 2 through 3. What will be Jesus' judgment in the seven seals, trumpets, and bowls? So this is a futuristic uh, view of Revelation, but, but this is what is laid out there in Revelation 1.19. Let's read that verse now. 
Write therefore the things that you have seen and those that are and those that are to take place after this. When you pay special attention to that phrase, take place after this, okay? Because this is where we're seeing this pivot from chapters 2 and 3, and the pivot is in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, where it says this. After this, okay, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, some futurists and some uh, pre-trib people really want to uh, hang the rapture somewhere in this verse, okay? And you'll read commentaries that try to do that. I don't think there's any scriptural evidence, really, for the rapture to be hung in this verse. Unless you're really going hard on the analogy and John represents the church and he's getting caught up to heaven. But the text is not indicating that anywhere, that John represents the church, okay? Does that make sense? So, commentators try to do that. I think that's unfair to the text. Now, does that mean I'm not... Uh, Think of the rapture, and I, yeah, I'm pre-trib. I, I think, I, well, I'm, I hope for the best, which would be pre-trib and, and prepare for the worst. I mean, but I'm not sold on that, and I don't think this is a good justice to the text. I will always try to do justice to the text. Does that make sense? I'm not going to try to press my lens or my view onto the text. I want the text to say what the text says as best as I can make it see it, Okay. So the rapture, in my opinion, is not hung in this verse at all, okay? But the two phrases that are really important is after this and take place after this, okay? Pay attention to that because John is intentionally referencing verse 19, right? The key phrase after this occurs 10 times in Revelation. Each time it shows the progression of visions. Oftentimes it does show a timetable, like uh, not only progression, but in the event, it came after. If there was something after, there was something before, right? Right. So that is sequence, right? John is drawing special attention to Revelation 119 in two ways, okay? First, he quotes the end of verse 19, take place after this. He quotes it word for word. So he's trying to take your mind back to the outline of Jesus. You see what I mean? That Jesus said, write the things that are, write the things that have been, write the things that are, write the things that will take place after this, right? And so that would be the first point, right? And second, he sets off Revelation 4.1 by starting it with the phrase, after this, and ending it with the phrase, after this. I mean, it's like neon text lights there for you to pay attention. This is after this. After what? After chapters 2 and 3, <laughs> right? Which is the representation of the church. Not the church in ages. I don't think the text hangs on that. There is a view there, but that has very little scriptural credence. I think that chapters 2 and 3 represent the church for all time in all ages of the church. And at any time right now, I could go out and, take and find uh, any of those seven churches in any of the churches in the world. Those problems. In fact, I could say that I could find small problems uh, or small parts of all those problems of the seven churches right here in our church today, right? If I didn't, why would I preach through the seven churches, right? 
right? Because those are issues that the churches all have, and they're representative of issues that the churches have. Are they exhaustive? No, they're not. But they represent the church, the church now, right? What is the church? The church is here, right? We're in here gathered together, right? In a building. So when does chapter 4 take place then? After the church, okay? After that time period. He's in heaven. Now, I think the vision itself took place like he's seeing it, right, in AD 90, right? Revelation 4.2. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. The throne in heaven. Now, this is uh, Kingston uh, Biblical comic book. That's where these uh, images have come from. I uh, wasn't able to get images from my artistic people in the church this week, so this is what we got. The Lord, Psalms 103.19 says the, the Lord. And what, when it's all caps like that, is it actually the Lord? What, or what is it? What? I didn't hear you. It's Yahweh. Yahweh has established the thro- his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Thus says Yahweh, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. That is the house that you have built for me, and what is the place of my rest? Now, just pay attention to this. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things can be, came to be, declares Yahweh. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, sometimes when we think of God on the throne, we would say, oh, yeah, right. Especially the skeptic. You are on your throne, then you are going doing a really bad job. I mean, look at the chaos around the world. Are you really thinking you're doing that great of a th- job on your throne? Just look at the chaos in my life, right? Holy cats, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we feel that way or think that way, right? Uh, we're not fitting the humble and contrite, right? In fact, we're taking all throne and we're saying, hey, I can do better. Let me sit, sit on a throne and, and tell you what to do, right? Right? Over 86 people have died in Maui from the wildfires. I can't even count how many people have died in the Ukraine world war, right? I mean, all around us, stuff is going sideways. And we do not have the place to say, gee, I could do a better job than you. Or even to complain. He sits on his throne, and he rules. And who does he pay attention to? Those who say, you are in charge. Those who say, You are worthy of all glory, honor, and power. And I will get off my throne and worship you. Yahweh, the Father, is seated on the throne of heaven. That's where he sits, and he doesn't sit there in complacency. He sits there in activity, ruling and reigning. Ask you this, do we recognize who is on the throne and respond in worship?
in that emotional turmoil that you're in right now, do you recognize who is on the throne and respond and worship? In that physical ailment that you're having right now, do you recognize who is on the throne and respond in worship? In that relational issue that you're having right now, do you recognize who is on the throne and respond in worship? In that difficult job situation that you're having right now, are you recognizing who is on the throne? And then respond in worship. It's a choice. A choice that each of us has to choose to make. Revelation 4, 3, he's worthy of all worship. He is majestic in, in sight. Listen to this. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and cornelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. All the display of the glory of God is overpowering and, and, and majestic. Yahweh with the appearance of jasper and cornelian. You're like, what? Jasper, what's cornelian? I, I don't know those rocks. Or if I've seen them, they're like, you know, on a ring or something, right? Ezekiel 126-7 is another theophany that gives us insight into this uh, appearance of, of God using some difficult words. And above the expanse of their heads, there was the likeness of a throne and the appearance like sapphire. And seated above in the likeness of the throne was likeness with a human appearance. And upward from that had the appearance of... Of his waist, I saw it as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of file enclosed all around. And downward from that, what had the appearance of his waist, I saw that it was the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. File, hot file, red file, clear file, right? And it's bright. The appearance of jasper, John defines for us in Revelation 21, 10 through 11. He says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It is radiance is like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. So what diamond do we, oh, sorry, yeah, I just threw it away. What rock, we know that a rock, the rock, clearest rock, that we have, right, precious jewel, is a diamond, and it's clear, right? And we rate them on their clear clarity, right? The more clear it is, the more valuable it is, the more precious it is, right? right? So we have something, this appearance of a, a huge diamond, right? John here defines the appearance of Jasper by his description. It's much like a diamond. And the appearance of Cornelian is a reddish precious stone, so we have this combination of red and clear, which is like that fire description that we even had in Ezekiel, right? So it's just this bright, glowing force of glory and holiness, right? Individual meanings to these stones are not assigned, right? Collectively, they represent God's sovereign majesty and glory. Since they appear in Old Testament, OT means Old Testament. Tanophany is an appearance of God, all right? Uh, scenes in in which divine glory is manifested because they are directly linked also to God's glory in Revelation. Like, uh, you could read those references. I read one of them for you. So the rainbow around the throne, like emerald, it said, right? 
Ezekiel 1.28 says, Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of the one speaking. Genesis 19.12, the first mention of a bow in Scripture. 12 through 13, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. A bow around the throne, reminding us of God's glory, reminding us of his promises, that he, his promises are yes and amen, and that he will accomplish his purposes and his promises to his people. Amen? Let us worship him. Let us worship him in spirit. Let us worship him in truth, for he is worthy of all our worship. Revelation 4, 4 says, around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. The 24 thrones and the 24 elders seated on the thrones. What a scene, huh? Right? Who are these guys? Well, there's, there's five or six options. Um, there's only one good one, I think, by the text, but there's options. Uh, the elders have been variously identified as, one, stars from astrological background, not likely, two, angels, three, Old Testament saints, four, angelic heavenly representat representatives of all the saints, five, patriarchs and apostles representing the Old Testament and New Testament saints together, and six, representatives of the prophetic revelation of the 24 books of the Old Testament. Now, my opinion is that the text, as we're going to walk through, gives most credence to number five. That's why it's highlighted, okay? Not that there isn't credence or reasons why they come up with the other ones, but five, I think, is what the text drives at. The elders are sitting on thrones. That's where they're at. They're seated on thrones, thrones that have been given to him. Who is promised to share in thrones? We learned over the last seven weeks who's promise to share on thrones. The church, right? The one who conquers, I will get, grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay? So shared thrones. Elders are clothed in white garments. Who's promised white garments? The church. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? Revelation 3, 4 says, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. Or Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to, you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Right? The elders are wearing crowns, golden crowns. Right? What is promised to us, to the church? 
frowns, right? Revelation 2.10, do not fear that you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for 10 days, that you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what, church? The crown of life, right? Or Revelation 3.11, I'm coming soon. Yeah, come, Jesus, come, right? Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Now, crown is... Uh, speaking of rewards that we receive in heaven, like the athlete, but it's also speaking of shared rule. A king wears a crown. A ruling person wears a crown, right? Why the number 24? Now, I can do some math, and we're going to do a little bit of math. This is about the extent of my math. Sounds just funny. Nobody's laughing. Some people are smiling, but... Okay, so how many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. All right. And how many apostles are there? Twelve. And twelve and twelve is? Twenty-four. I think that's a pretty clear answer, especially when you look that the, uh, that the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven has twelve gates and twelve stones, and the gates of the Israelites or the, no, I don't know. I'd have to look. I'm forgetting all of a sudden. But he is using these 12s as numbers. And it's this combination of the people of God and the people of Israel with the people of the church coming together. Ruling with God. So these, who are these 24 elders? They are the Old Testament and New Testament saints together sharing the rule with Jesus and the Father. They are being represented by the 12 the twelve. They are being represented by the 12 apostles. And we will share with this, with, and that's a bad wording up there. We will share, we, we will share, will share. No, that's why it says it. No wonder I can't read that right. Sorry. We will share this with them as well. Man, I was like, man, I'm trying to leave words out and it's, we're going to share in this rule. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. In fact, that's flabbergasting to me. That we will sit on thrones in the council of God. And he's holding counsel right now. That's what he's doing. He's holding counsel, seeing who is worthy to open the scroll, as we're going to find out in chapter 5. And who's part of that council? The church. The church and Old Testament saints are part of that council. So let us worship him who sits on the throne. He is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all praise. Revelation 4, 5 says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven burning lamps of fire or seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. The significance of thunder and lightning. Oh, one thing I like about Illinois is the thunderstorms that we get and the lightning storms. And I'm right with Mike. I want to climb up the tallest thing and look so I can watch it go across the valley. I know it's not very smart, but I'm right there. Right? We see it. We have some extreme weather here and some big thunderclaps, right? 
at some huge lightning storms. And Joel and I often will stand out on the front porch in a storm because it's a little alcove there and watch the storm. And we're reminded of God. Exodus 19, 16 says, On the morning of the third day, they're at the uh, Mount Sinai. I wanted to say Zion, and I knew that was totally wrong. Sinai, right, receiving the Ten Commandments from God. On the morning of the third day, there were, th- were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very trumpet blast, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Power. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep, excuse me, trembled. The clouds poured out the skies, poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrow flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder it was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and it shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And I would say that God leads his people, the church, like a flock. Through his people. Thunder and lightning declare God's great power where we worship him. For he is worthy of all praise. Where we worship him in the mundane. It's, it's, it's easy in some ways, not easy, but easier in some ways to come here and worship God. Right? This space, this, this area, this time has been set forth for worship. It's harder to worship him when you get up in the morning and you feel like a bad word. And you just want to crawl back in bed and cover up your head. And go, let's try again, right? We have those mornings. And when you're in that conflict again with that individual and it's just cyclic and it keeps happening over and over again, that's the hard time to worship, isn't it? That's, that's the challenging time. That's when we lose fact of him seated on the throne. But those are the times when we're called to remember he's on the throne and he's worthy of all worship and I will worship him. I will raise a hallelujah in the presence of my trial, in the presence of my enemy for he is on the throne and he is ruling and he is reigning And he is using this in my life in ways that I don't even know. Because that's who he is. And that's what he does. So the seven lamps, torches of fire before the throne, are the seven spirits of God, representing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into this at length because I've already talked about it for about an hour and a half on a Wednesday night. So if you want to check that out, uh, there's the link uh, or QR code for that. You can scan that. Um, you can also get to it. It's on the podcast. It didn't go on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, I think I messed up the sound on that. So it's there, but there's no sound. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it is on the podcast. 
and you follow that link and it will have the slides there for you. Revelation 4, 6. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures with each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Four living creatures, the lion creature, the ox creature, the man-faced creature, the flying eagle creature. What are these creatures around the throne? They seem very bizarre to our ears, don't they? Well, I don't have time to go into that today. I've baited you now. We're going to explore that further on our Wednesday night study. So uh, I'll encourage you to plug in to that. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, what are these living creatures doing? Their purpose is to give glory. Their purpose is to give honor. Their purpose is to give thanks to the Father seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. Will we follow suit in worship? Will we give him glory? Will we give him honor? Will we give him thanks? Not only when we're in heaven, but today, this afternoon, tomorrow when you wake up, or next Wednesday when you have to meet with that person. The 24 elders fall down when they hear this. These creatures give glory and honor and praise. They fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Oh, wow. The 24 elders, representing the church, representing us, leave their throne. Representing the people of God, they bow down in worship. They cast their crowns before the throne. For the Father, the Creator, is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. So will we leave our throne and bow down in worship? Casting our crowns, our rewards, our right to rule at his feet. He's the only one that is worthy of rule, and yet he chooses to share rule with us. But we must not forget that he is in charge, and he is worthy of all worship. Let us worship him seated on the throne. Let us pray. Father God, we do come before you with humble and contrite hearts, 
worshiping you. We come to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before you by your mercy, in your grace, and in your fullness. We lift a sacrifice of praise to you, worshiping you, holding you high in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Give us strength to do that. Give us strength to refocus in that. Music, Lord, is such a gift to us that we can use it as a tool to do that. And as we sing this last song, we just pray that you would just minister to us, empower us to worship you by your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.